0: You're listening to Sproodcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sproodcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin.
1: Hi, you're listening to Sproodcast with me, Mark Harris, and with Karen Hall. This is episode 39, which is mostly given over to Mars Lord, talking to Karen about cultural competence.
0: We are delighted to be sponsored by Pinter & Martin, an independent publishing company specialising in pregnancy, birth and parenting, psychology, nutrition, yoga and fiction at pinterandmartin.com. And don't forget that we are able to give you a 10% discount if you use the code SPRODCAST at the checkout. Mm
1: -hmm. And very
0: excitingly, and I have to say thank you to Mark for all the work you've done on this, Mm -hmm. we've just... He has just set up a Patreon page. And to find that, you go to patreon.com slash And this is where you can support the show from as little as one US dollar per month. Though if you can stretch to two dollars, we'll send you a badge. Um, (laughs) There are a few other rewards for larger donations and we're adding to them all the time as we come up with new ideas. So do feel free to make some suggestions. And this is just something that is going to enhance what we can do for you.
1: Absolutely. And it's a reflection of our values, Karen. Don't forget to say that. It's a reflection of our values, Mark. Oh, thanks for saying that, Karen. I was going to mention the fact that, you know, we've thought about sponsorship long and hard for a long period of time. And uh, first of all, it's our values that we have to think about when we're looking for sponsorship. And secondly, the fact that not many people have wanted to sponsor us.
0: Well, and actually... (laughs) Getting, our, getting our, our sponsorship from the people listening feels entirely oh, right
1: to me. It, it's congruent to me, Karen. In fact, I'm buzzing about it.
0: Well, it means we can keep it going for a completely free product. And then if anybody wants to just dip in their pockets, they can.
1: They can. And, of course, on the Patreon page, which is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and grow in terms of content, there will be stuff on there for those people that want to support us by giving money.
0: Yes, we will be adding in extra content. Most of it's going to be Mark talking to a camera in his car.
1: Um, no, there's going to be, I'm going to write blog a blog series on there that, it, that I'm not going to publish anywhere else. There you I'm, go. It's going to be called Transforming Birthing Culture and I, I'm going to write it just for the Patreon page.
0: So we'll have loads of things for anybody who donates anything at all. There'll be things coming up for you um, and then just extra things for a bit more.
1: Uh, we said we would thank all our patrons at the end of the show, but because of today's format, we will do that now. So our grateful thanks go to Ames Harris, brackets, my daughter, and I gave her the 12 quid ahead of time, Jamie and Bev, Nikki, Martha and Megan Stevenson and Emma Spillane. Thanks to you for your contributions. Do you know, you are the inaugural contributors and we will never forget you uh, anyway we need to get on with order ordering the merchandise now karen yes we do you need to do that karen that's your job
0: and just to explain about the format mars is talking about what she calls cultural competence and i call how not to be racist and why it matters which surely should be the next book in the pinter and martin range i think
1: yeah um, and mark yeah. And i felt
0: that really for us to try to add our comments to her words would just seemed inappropriate and not particularly respectful so when we finally shut up in a few minutes we'll introduce mars and she'll take you to the end of the episode
1: do you have any other business to discuss before we get on with mars karen
0: we've got a few bits and pieces so i wanted to mention that um sarah wickham kindly sent me her book the new book on inducing labor Oh. which i've reviewed on my website motherworldly.com um and um i thought it was really quite a good book um something that i would recommend widely because it's it explains a lot of the detail stuff that certainly i didn't really have my head around all of that um cool. having i'm not a midwife and i've never been through any of that and no. i've never had to particularly directly support somebody with inductions so I've, I've got an overview rather than all all that detail and just reading the evidence and the pros and the cons and the different situations in which induction is recommended was very very useful for me
1: Cool how many pages is it Karen roughly do you know no <laughs> right. and your 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 blog on it your reviews available at motherworldly.com brilliant we want to get her on don't we but she, she needs we would to love to
0: speak to her we would love to do an episode on induction and since she is i would say the uk authority on the question of evidence around induction
1: yeah
0: we want her what else has been
1: going on uh, maddie mcmahon's a friend of mine so that's full disclosure there uh, she mentioned her do course is it www.dulevation.com. i watched a few of the videos and read through some of the co- content and I thought, I thought it was just amazingly good. Okay, so what is it? It's um, do you know, do you know, in the birth world, uh, you can get coaching from mm. people that want to support you doing business stuff, right? And a lot, you know, a lot of that coaching that I've come across is really aimed at, you know, giving you a kick up the bum and getting you to challenge yourself and make new goals and use positive affirmations and what. Mad is done is designed a program based on the idea of doularing. So she's actually designed the program with a view to sort of like nurturing the release of people's own potential ideas and creativity. It's kinda of like a coaching program that's almost an anti coaching programme. I did a video on it and, and I think it's well worth taking a look at.
0: Okay, so is doolovation like a portmanteau of doula and motivation? Or elevation?
1: maybe or, uh, or dedication no it wouldn't be that would it but no Dunno. so i just the name doesn't doesn't buzz me but the content really does okay. you like it I, yeah. I think i think you'll like this program then because it's it's a support for everyone who's self-employed if you like or is in business in the birth world not just doulas it'd be good for midwives it'd be good for antenatal teachers yoga teachers and all the rest and i love the way she uses the 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 metaphor of birth itself to take you through the program, you know the idea of a latent phase and all of that. Mm. Very nice, very gentle. She isn't imposing her values on you. She isn't trying to get to talk to you. Do you know, a lot of these other programs, in my opinion, they use your own internal critical voice to try and motivate you through through guilt, and it it just leaves you feeling worn out and in a worse position than maybe you felt when you started. So this is a breath of fresh air and uh i'm enthusiastic about it
0: right that sounds really interesting i've seen a couple of tweets about it so i shall check it out Mm. Um, and we will do an episode on doulas i think we should so for our next episode and i really do need to speak to heather about this but we want heather tricky um who's going to talk to us about um the research she's done recently into decision making around alcohol in pregnancy very good Um, We've got an idea about having something on doulas. We would like um, an episode on induction. So any more ideas, keep them coming.
1: I've got a couple of uh, doctors uh, teed up. I've got an anesthetist, hopefully, and a consultant obstetrician who's leading the team forward on better births from Gloucester.
0: That would be great because we do need more content on better births. It's such an important thing and we touch on it. Absolutely.
1: And I think we need need some more obstetric and medical voices as well. Well, that's all you're going to hear from me and Karen today. So let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. We love to hear from you, without a doubt. I, I love it.
0: That's facebook.com slash sprodcast and at sprodcast on Twitter. Um, If you're listening on iTunes, we want one of your lovely reviews, please. Um, And why not head over to Patreon and spend one whole US dollar on keeping us going and um, helping us buy badges. (laughs) Thanks for listening to us. Now listen to Mars. This is Mars Lord on Cultural Competence.
2: morning Karen.
0: Good morning I'm really excited about talking to you.
2: Oh yes and me to you though one of the problems with talking about cultural competency is the studies aren't quite there yet.
0: That's okay this doesn't seem like one of those things where we need a, a, a massive kind of weight of background evidence it's, yeah. it's obvious it's a no-brainer it should be something that we're all talking about Um, This is a subject that I don't feel um, qualified to speak on at all, which is why I've come to you.
2: Yes. One of the problems that we have when when we talk about cultural competency in the UK is that people within the birth world are likely, but not necessarily, likely to have seen the American stats. And we have this misconception in the UK that... Racism doesn't happen in the UK in the same way it does in America, and therefore it's not as important. Within um, the US, you have people who are very much divided and categorised along racial ethnic lines, and they're such a vast population, it's sort of easier to see. Whereas here in the UK, our highest concentration of ethnic minorities and BME people, black minority, I think people um, tend to be in the cities. If you come from a city and you go out into a rural area, you notice the lack of BME people relatively quickly. Mm. So when we see in the birth world across the pond in the States that in a New York hospital, black women are up to 12, times more likely to die in childbirth than white women and that their babies are at the same risk up until the age of two, we think, oh my goodness, that's so shocking, thank goodness we have the wonderful um, services that we have over here. And this isn't to say that our services aren't wonderful, and it isn't to say that people across the pond and the state aren't doing wonderful work and providing wonderful services within some really rather serious constraints where everything is doctor-led rather than client-led and midwife-led. I know for a start that I've told each of my children that none of them are to give birth in the States. If they find themselves moving over there, though currently why anyone would want to is, I don't know, or sorry, why anyone black would want to, I don't know, then I said they should come back over here and birth their babies. But What we have discovered and what has been around for a while, but because people don't look for it, they don't see it. And when I say look for it, I'm not saying let's go out and find really terrible things that are going on. But because they don't look for it, they don't see that actually over here black women are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. So that's still
0: not an acceptable statistic. That's
2: not an acceptable stat at all. I mean, we all know that the most acceptable stat is that no woman dies in childbirth. But to know that if you are BME, you are three times more likely to die, well, then there's something wrong. So most of the studies that have been done have been done in America. And what, this, what they tried to show and what white birth workers over here do a lot is they decide that it's a socioeconomic issue because black women are less likely to have as much money, less likely to go to the top universities, less likely to be employed in the more professional jobs. Now, notice I didn't say they aren't, I just said less likely, and it's statistical uh, factor, and you can see it just by walking the streets. So because they are less likely to be in that um, upper stratosphere, people think, well, it must be socioeconomic. Uh, studies also debunked the fact that it was um that it was genetic we have the eugenics movement that has done so much to prove that black is uh inferior and not very healthy etc etc um but nothing has proven to be the correct answer when it comes to socioeconomic or or genetics Etc., when it comes to why black women are more likely to die in childbirth, then they started to look quite seriously at what the reasons might be. And what it comes down to, the bottom line, is it comes down to systemic, structural, and generational racism. Now, we have um, lots of knowledge about the physiology of birth. We know about the cortisol levels. We know about stress levels in people. We look at psychologists. Psychologists um, will tell you why different families work the way they work, why this person is more likely to exhibit depression and other mental health issues. And we look at their background and we look at the way things have run through their family. We look at the way things have been for them generationally. And we accept that as fact. But we don't look at that in the context of black people. So if as a black woman, you live your life with continual daily microaggressions, all of these things build. If your mother lived with continual microaggressions, those things built. Built. If your grandmother lived with these microaggressions, then all of the cortisol levels, they build through each generation of family. We have um, people are very excited about the microbiome, but nobody has actually done any studies. And the the few studies that they've done that include black women have been um, negated because the the number was so few, but nobody has actually looked at the microbiome in a black woman because in the birth world, where everything is so very white and white is normal. The vast majority of the images that you see are going to be images of white women birthing white babies, happy, smiling, white babies. Yes, we're starting to make small inroads, but you can look through pretty much anyone's birth work and the the vast majority of the images that they use are white. So white is normal. So when we look at the microbiome, nobody's questioning the fact that we're not looking at black women and their microbiome to see what the difference is and what it is that we're setting up our babies with. So with generational stresses and generational racism, perhaps there's a difference in our microbiome, something that needs to be looked at and thought about and talked about. But we don't have the research and the studies at the moment. We do have MM Brace, who are looking at um, the different statistics and sort of researching perinatal mortality and how black women uses of the maternity services, etc., and how the professionals are treated. We don't look at and recognize the fact that black midwives are more likely to be bullied and to be suspended for much smaller infractions than white midwives. Even though when you get to the end of the process, a white midwife who has been suspended is far more likely to be struck off than a black midwife who's been suspended. But that's because there are greater numbers of black midwives being suspended for minor reasons.
0: Right, yes. So if a white midwife was suspended it would be for a possibly a more severe reason, therefore more yes. likely that she's struck off. Okay. Yeah.
2: And so all of these things sort of start to jumble together into this pot that ends up being detrimental for black women and their babies. So you're a pregnant black woman who lives her day-to-day life with the microaggressions that go on. What we have over here is a a feeling that unless it's covert racism, it's not really racism. Very, very simple examples of covert racism and microaggressions. Oh, when I was younger, and occasionally now, but nowhere near as much, I was told, Oh, you speak really nicely for a, a, a black girl. Oh, you look quite pretty for a, a black girl. Now, in those two sentences, as the say, it, it clearly says, You're not white. You shouldn't talk like that. Mm-hmm. You're not white. There should be no attractiveness about you. Now, I would imagine that the vast majority of your listeners will think, well, I don't think that, you know, and you can't say that everybody thinks that. But when it's only been incredibly recently that we've started to see black beauty within the media, upon our screens, within our conversations, when you think of how very recently that is, you know, that this is a system that's been entrenched for years. So you're a black woman, you've suffered all your microaggressions or you continue to suffer your microaggressions and now you're pregnant. I met this lovely Asian couple who told me that they dressed up formally to go to the hospital for their hospital checks because they didn't want to be seen as stupid because they wanted to be perceived as intelligent and affluent because they knew that that was how they would get good treatment. I just recently spoke to a young black girl who's expecting her baby in the next few weeks. And she was told by her midwife that because of her BMI, and she's not actually huge, that she would drown if she had a water birth. I had another who was told, who despite having had two precipitous births, the first one, Six hours in hospital, the second one, paramedics in her bedroom decided that she would book a home birth for her third birth because she knew that was the safest option to be at home with midwives birthing her baby. This was her decision. She was told by her consultant that she was too large and that if she were to collapse at home, the paramedics wouldn't be able to carry her out. Again, She's not large. She's not a size double zero. She's not a size zero. But she's not large. And she managed to birth two babies quite happily and quickly and easily. And when she challenged the consultant on this, the consultant said, no, 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 I didn't say those words to you. And yet she did. And because she'd had my support as a doula for the first two births and through this third pregnancy, she knew her rights and she knew to speak up, but so often we infantilize women during pregnancy, labor and birth. If we do that to white women and we live within a system of structural, systemic and generational racism, then what do we do to black women? There's a, uh, I was gonna say unspoken, but it was spoken a couple of years ago, but there's this, this feeling or this learned knowledge that black people experience pain in a very different way. So we look back at the the modern fathers of obstetrics and we see that most of their experimentation done on enslaved women was carried out without analgesia. And then when they moved forward to begin to take their revolutionary practices and use their revolutionary practices on white women, they very definitely used analgesia and they changed the conversation and the history of how they'd learned what they'd learnt and where they learnt it so we see this um incredible picture of um a woman who is an enslaved woman and she's fully clothed and she's kneeling quite calmly and surrounded by fully clothed white doctors but the reality, going back into the history and going further back than the history that was brought forward to New York, where Marion Sims moved to, was that these women were naked and they were watched by doctors, by students, by rich white men who, you know, because they were rich and important, were allowed to come in and watch and go There's something within us that says, oh, my goodness, this is so awful. How could they do that? But we forget to look at the legacy that that has left. And the legacy that that has left is an assumption that black women feel less pain and therefore shouldn't be asking for the support and help they need. And when they ask for the help and support they need, whether it comes to pain management or navigating their way through the maternity system, they're called silly. They're called girls, silly little girls who don't understand how things should be. Do you know that black babies are 50% more likely to to suffer stillbirth? 50. 50% and they're of significantly increased risk of death than other communities. Because if you take this black woman and you, you dismiss her, even something as simple as talking about her birth choices and telling her that she will drown if she has a water birth. Mm -hmm. Then how do you build trust in that woman to talk to you about how she's feeling? The fact that black women are far more likely to suffer from preeclampsia and gestational diabetes, far more likely, but not all women will. And that's kind of ignored because, well, you know, they will have slightly raised blood pressure. So we don't need to take these things seriously. One Of the hardest things I've found within the birth world is when you start to highlight these things, when you start to talk about them, when you say we need to have a conversation about it. What the white birth world says is, No, Mars, that's not black women, that's all women.
0: Mm, I can really see that.
2: Yeah, we shut down the experience of black women, of black mothers, by saying, No, no, that's not black women, that's all women. If you were talking about sexism, if you were talking, about men and women, you wouldn't use that language. People are in uproar to use that kind of language, shutting a woman down because of the experience of sexism that she's had. But we think nothing of doing it when it's a black woman. When it's a black woman, like, no, no, no. And you know, I have been, uh, I wish I could say surprise. As you know, I have been surprised a few times. I've been surprised <laughs> a few times by people who present as allies shout loudly that they are that they are allies post in all the appropriate facebook groups for example but continually shut black women down and white explain it and over explain it and talk about how they're just thinking out loud you're not thinking out loud when you're typing into a keyboard
0: Mm.
2: when you're typing onto a keyboard you're saying what it is that you are thinking that you want people to know that you are thinking. If you're behind your keyboard at home and you think, surely that can't be true. No, I'm sure it must be Blah la, 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 la. When you type it-
0: There's such a huge display element.
2: Huge, huge. And we have a lot of that. What scares me is that um, within different organizations, different birth organizations, there is an assumption that you can do a quick online course and tick your diversity boxes. Anyone can do an online course and not be faced with their own implicit and explicit racial biases. And a racial bias isn't necessarily going to be a covert expression of racism. But what we do is we find a little online course, we pay a a few pounds a year, the course lasts 47 minutes, there we go, we are now culturally competent. And yet the behaviour continues. I'm surprised at the number of people who have told me they didn't know. And I know that you said that you didn't know, but it's proof therefore, Karen, that you know, the, that we're not looking in the right directions. That, that it's shocking to people that they didn't know that black women were three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. There's a call of why do we need to have a black maternal health week? For the same reason we need a black history month. I don't live black history once a year. I am black, I am walking black history. Black maternal health should be something that we're concerned about all year. But there was a week at the beginning of April, the 11th to the 17th of April set up by an American woman. Oh, my brain has frozen. I think she's Black Mamas Matter. And she set up a week to say, we really need to talk about this stuff. We, We brush it under the carpet when it doesn't affect us. White women can't be expected to know that this happens to black women because it doesn't happen to them or to their sisters, to their mothers or their aunts, and so it's not in their circle and it's not what they see. It's why one of my biggest passions, and I say it all the time, is that I wish to colour in the landscape of birth. Yeah. I'm a Londoner. I live within London, within the UK, that is full of a huge ethnic mix of people. We're all individuals. We can't all be treated exactly the same, because treating people exactly the same does what it's always done, which is leave white men and white women on top with all the advantages. It's not something that people agree until the nice like, white lady says it. So when I left my doula organisation, I had had been asked, why did nobody bring these concerns about diversity and um, how black doulas are feeling to the table? I said, I sat opposite you at the table for seven years, bringing this subject up. And the response was, well, I'm going to leave this conversation now. The conversation is shut down. Unless the nice white lady believes it, then it obviously isn't true. And that's a danger that we have within the black maternal mortality disparity rates. So cultural competency is about finding out about these things. Cultural competency isn't phoning me emailing me sitting down with me um and I'm not talking about this conversation here Karen because I think it's important that that the conversation starts and people need to know but it's not about finding someone black and sitting down and saying so tell me how you've been victimized tell me how I can stop victimizing you there's plenty of information out there there are blogs someone said to me "Oh, blogs don't mean anything and I I beg to differ because a lot of those blogs come with statistics and those are the voices that we're traditionally trying not to listen to there's lots of information out there that you can find out mmbrace so m-m-b-r-a-c-e hyphen uk i've got lots of studies on disparities lots of studies on the way statistically black women are more likely to die and that their babies are more likely to die and In 2017, M. Embrace seems to show that the disparity is increasing. So we need this conversation. We need to talk about what is it to be culturally competent or, as a fabulous black midwife I know said, how not to be racist in our work. And the word racist is emotive because nobody likes to be seen as or thought of as racist. And so the defence comes out, the I need to explain to you why I am not all the things that you say the system are well you might not be all the things that I say the system are that black women are saying the system are that black people are saying the system are you might not be those things but when you take the conversation in the direction of but I am not you make the conversation about you Hmm. and not the issue and not the people who are suffering. I've never seen it. Therefore, it can't be happening. I don't need you to send me examples of racism. I live with racism every day of my life. I went to a fertility conference and there was a a play that was was an amazing play and this fertility conference. And a white man came to me afterwards whilst we're all drinking wine and having lunch and chatting about the conversation about fertility and talking about the play that we'd seen. And he said to me, of course, when it comes to your people, the fathers are never around, are they? And that was just, that came out of nowhere. That had nothing to do with the conference.
0: Was that shocking to you? Or are you sort of, yeah, this happens all the time.
2: No, it was shocking to me because of the context of where it was. Right. And that it came out of something that had nothing to do with black fathers. And in fact, that's, That's a lie that black fathers aren't invested, but that's a lovely media portrayed lie that we continue to believe to make it difficult for black fathers to be black fathers and stay with their families. But it wasn't a shock because a white man said that to me, and it wasn't a shock because I know that that's how people feel. I'm a mother of five children. I'm divorced from my ex-husband. When I tell people that I have five children, they all ask, how many fathers? There's no assumption that my ex-husband and I had five children together, there's an assumption that somehow my babies must have five different fathers. So that would be a little bit impossible as the last one was twins, but hey, maybe not impossible. (laughs) Uh, Just a little more awkward to explain. Hmm. But so cultural competency is about working in cultural safety. Cultural competency is about examining personal, implicit and explicit racism. It's about looking at simple things, simple things as your website. What does the language and what does the imagery of your website say? It's not about using black faces for black faces' sake but if you're a if you're a doula or an independent midwife or a birth worker and you're talking about all things birth, well as women, we those of us that choose to give birth and some of us who don't choose to give birth but give birth anyway. This work involves all of us. So we should see ourselves in your imagery and we shouldn't be told things like, well, that's, that doesn't fit with my brand. What does it mean? What are you saying to me, to yourself, to the birth world when black images don't fit with your brand? What does that say about your brand? And what does that say about the core of your belief? But Mars, I, I live and I work in an area that was just full of white people. I'm reasonably convinced that there are some black ones somewhere. And why does it matter? Surely we should see birth in all her beauty. We should see the black and the brown faces, the babies, the Asian babies, the African babies. Did you know one of the studies in America shows that if you are an African born woman who's born and raised in Africa and then comes over to the United States, the disparity rates shrink. African-American women Black women born and raised in America are the ones with the highest disparity rates and the Hispanic women and the indigenous people of America.
0: That supports your cortisol theory.
2: Absolutely. And it's, you know, generational, structural, systemic racism. and People will willfully misread these things. I had um, someone on uh, my on Instagram. And she said, are you telling me that white midwives will leave a black woman to die in labor so that she can go and help a white woman in labor? And I said, I haven't said that at all. I haven't said that anywhere, I haven't even thought that. It's not a a process that would have even crossed my mind. But there's a willful, and I quote that because there's a willful misreading of what's going on. Mm. So if if we are genuine about wanting cultural competency, we need to define what cultural competency means. Does cult- tr- cultural competency mean putting a line on your website saying no person will be discriminated due to their race, their ethnicity, their gender, their sexuality? Is that what cultural competency means, a line on your website? And if that's what cultural competency means for you, then you've got a lot of learning to do. Because cultural competency is more than saying the correct words. It's about striving to live the correct life. It's about striving. Um, and striving simply means working and moving forward. But it means striving to readjust these disparities, to make sure that when a black woman, for example, tells you how she was treated by her doctor, her midwife, her healthcare professional, or her doula, and says, or her doula trainer, that that, that was racism that we don't shut her down and say, no, no, no. That happens to all women. Cultural competency is sometimes sitting in silence and listening and doing more than listening, but hearing. And listening isn't about formulating what you're going to say next. Listening is being still and letting that person speak and hearing the words that they are saying. You do not need to have the answer. And even if you do, to listen is simply to be still and hear the words. Don't try and fix my situation that I've told you about unless I've asked you to help me fix it. Sit and listen and hear what it is that I'm saying. It's cultural competency about actually taking yourself to a place of vulnerability and allowing yourself to be confronted by the mirror that shows your implicit and covert explicit biases. And sitting with that knowledge, accepting and recognizing that you are the product of the world and the system that raised you. If we live in a country that is full of systemic, structural and generational racism, why are you so special that you, of all people, have managed to completely escape it? I'm not talking about flagellating yourself. I'm not talking about lying yourself, prostrate on the floor and saying Mars. And of course I use me and my name because I don't speak for all black women in the same way that any white woman i speak to doesn't speak for all white women but don't throw yourself down on the floor prostrate in front of me to say i'm sorry Mars. oh my ancestors oh i did this i did don't do that it's not about you when you sit and cry and we have to comfort you to make sure that the, the unpalatable truth is made sweet and palatable for you then you take away from our small time to speak. You're always in the spotlight. Someone else is trying to talk just now. Spend some time listening. Go and do some reading. Go and find out for yourself what's going on. I said in a a blog that I wrote once, rapists don't say to their victim, how do I stop uh, raping you? And they don't say, what can I do to prevent that? give me examples of how I've raped you. So the, the oppressor shouldn't expect the oppressed to tell them how to stop doing what they're doing. We're all relatively intelligent people. A fantastic book to read that's got nothing to do with birth, but it's a good way of starting the cultural competency conversation, is Rennie Lodge's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Find out why we're exhausted about continually having these conversations with you whilst knowing that we continually need to have these conversations to raise awareness for the the maternal mortality rates and morbidity rates and how we can reduce them. That we need to keep talking to you about why it's important that you see that I am a black woman and I am different but the same. Don't ignore my difference, but don't treat me badly because of my difference. But we're exhausted about continually telling you because you won't do the work. You won't do the research for yourself. You won't go out and read the books and read the blogs and sit and listen in on the conversations without having to change it and reshape it so that it suits you. When I set up Abuela Doulas, I said that I set up Abuela Doulas, particularly, but not exclusively, to train BME women, black minority ethnic women, to Asian women, Muslim women, African women, Caribbean women, black British women, to become doulas and healthcare and birth supporters, so that they can walk alongside their black sisters and help them navigate a system that pushes them towards death at three times the speed of white women that brings that maternal disparity. And when I told someone I was doing that, she told me I was saying it wrong. And of course it was a white woman telling me I was saying it wrong. And she said that I should phrase it this way. And if I phrased it this way, I would see how wrong it was, sorry. She said, I particularly, but not exclusively, train white women. And I said to her, that's every day. That's everything. When we get excited about an artist who's reimagined the nativity scene no one stands up to say hold on you're reimagining it could you not have portrayed people who actually look like the indigenous people of the time the people of israel and we're told don't be ridiculous you know what she's done is amazing you really need to keep your voice quiet she's just depicting what is normal when our birth icons say things that are wrong and they're called out on the racism we're told no 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 don't be like that they're old they're not like they've done so much it doesn't negate what they've done but we live in a world where we have no excuse not to know we have the internet we have books and research we have our conversations and our conferences with one another if you don't know then go and find out. Don't make half assed comments because you don't know. If you're asked why black women are more likely to die in childbirth, why their babies are more likely to die before they're two, and you don't know why, then go and do some research and find out. Don't say, no, no, that just happens to all women. That's a risk for all people. So we need to look at cultural competency and we need to hold up a mirror to ourselves and we need to make sure that actually we are working in cultural safety for all women so that we can find out what is it that we're not doing or providing within our service that puts these women and these babies at risk. What is it that we're doing that's helping and how can we do more of it? Let's not close off the conversation with a simple, well, it's not my fault my ancestors were like that. I don't think like that. I don't behave like that. I've put a line up on my website. Therefore, I am okay. Actively engage. There is a, a doula that I know. And when a couple of years ago, this conversation broke within the doula community and caused a lot of friction and angst. She said, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I think what you're saying, you're not saying it well. You're alienating people. The language is difficult and hard. Oh, it's not good for my ears. You're turning me off. You're turning people off. And then a year and a half later, what she had done is she taken herself off and away And she began to read and she began to study. And she said, I looked at my child's bookcase and I had to revamp it because I realized that I was giving my child one impression of what it is to be. I saw TV programs and films in a different way. I saw my clients in a different way. And I looked around the world in a different way. Please don't hold me up as someone special because I've got so much more to learn. She did the work, she's doing the work. And if you want to be culturally competent, you need to do the work. It's not a quick fix. You can't buy it with a 15 pound online course and say, yeah, I'm now culturally competent because this is gonna be a life work. This is a life work for us all to see how We all fit together in this amazing puzzle of life and how if each one lifted someone else up and as they went up, they reached back and lifted someone else up, then we would come to that place that we all say that we want. And in this birth world where we claim to care for women, to care for all women, we need to care for black women as well. If you look around and there's, I was talking to this lovely friend and he said, there are all of these different agendas, all of these different isms and things going on. But if we all came together as a group and said, right, hang on, you need lifting up the most at the moment. So let me, let us lift you up. And then once you're lifted, we'll turn and say, right, now that group, that marginalised group leads lifting up. So now let's lift you up, rather than all being in separate corners doing separate things. But don't make the mistake of thinking that I'm saying, so let's lump it all together. Because I've heard that when I've talked about, when I specifically confronted the racism and the lack of diversity, I was told it's not just black people, it's all people. And once again, black women and black people went to the bottom of the list whilst they sorted out other issues. Mm -hmm. But if we all come together... And we all look around collectively and say, you're dying at really unacceptable rates in childbirth. We need to focus our attention on you and we need to bring you up so that that stops happening. Now we need to look at you because this is happening through you within the birth world and lift you up. Once we do that, then we start working and operating in cultural competency. It's not an easy fix. You're not going to be culturally competent tomorrow. You can do a load of courses and still not be culturally competent next year, but choose what you're doing, choose where you're doing it. Allow the mirror to come up to your face, accept and be honest with yourself. Nobody else needs to know, but everyone will know because of the way that your practice has changed and improved. But you don't need to jump and say, look at me, I'm doing a cultural competency course. Aren't I amazing? You need to listen. You need to hold up the mirror and then you need to act because my daughters are three times more likely to die in childbirth than your daughters and that is unacceptable to me and that should be unacceptable to you too.
0: You've been listening to Sproodcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash And don't forget you can buy great books from PinterandMartin.com using the discount code SPROGGAST at the checkout.